podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. He's one of Britain's greatest ever Olympians, winning three rowing golds across three consecutive games. One of those was on Super Saturday, just a few hours earlier than Jess, Moe and Greg. But after Rio, the time was right to retire from a sport that brought more than a decade of success for Andrew Triggs Hodge. Despite originating from God's own county, London's River Thames has always played a key role in his life after winning the boat race in 2005 with Oxford. And that continues to this day. I'm John. And I'm Michael. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, where we speak to the men and women behind the scenes of British sport. In this episode, we want to find out how the man famous for winning on the water is now helping oversee a major operation under it and cleaning up the Thames too. And he's also encouraging the next generation of rowers from across our country's capital, hopefully to follow in his considerable footsteps. And I'm Andrew Triggs Hodge. I'm a volunteer at London Youth Rowing and uh, I work at Tideway, uh, who are building the super sewer. So firstly, Andy, to start us off with, from Olympic gold to, as you say, working with youngsters and working on the river. How did that come about? <laughs> um, it come about, well, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this, so it's going to be a convoluted answer. But basically, hey, throughout rowing, uh, I, I never believed I'd ever be anything in rowing. Uh, I just gave it a shot because I liked it and I just kind of get, kept getting better and better. And uh, uh, I was able to sort of stay in the sport because I was always improving. Um, but I always, always had an exit strategy. I think it's one of the most important things for any athlete to sort of contemplate is actually life after the sport and actually be prepared for the moment where an injury or something could happen or as what happened to me, you just get old. Um, so, uh, I was always had an eye on what else there was around in life. Um, so I managed to do a master's in water management. My background's in environmental science. Um, and when the time came, uh, I was introduced, uh, to a company, uh, which was called Tideway, uh, Thames Tideway Tunnel, who were building the super sewer. And their, their work for me was around activating the river. They were talking about, you know, we're going to clean up the river and have, create this, not create it, but um, clean up this, have this huge impact on the river. We wanted a way of celebrating it. Um, and boss there, Andy Mitchell, thought, well, there's a pretty good tie in here, both his professional and his, uh, his ho- hobby. <laughs> um, so uh, that, that's kind of how it came about. And it started, it started my, my transition into what I'd say sort of normal life, but think it's safe to say there's been nothing normal about it it's been quite a roller coaster and relentless and the super sewer is is what it's dubbed and it is absolutely humongous oh it's massive it's and it's it's the biggest engineering uh feat in london it's an incredible operation um and the 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 benefit is going to be nature you know, this is to clean up the river. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of an argument based on principle. You know, we shouldn't have the millions, tens of millions of tons of sewage which goes into the river every year. Just point blank, it should not happen. Um, but Bazalgette did an amazing job, I say 160 years ago. London's grown and grown. Um, and the, the problems sort of just exacerbated over the years to a point now where they needed a major investment to, uh, to, to solve the problem. And here we are with a 26 kilometer long tunnel 
uh, seven meters internal diameter. Um, and it's going to uh, effectively plug into all the overflow points down the River Thames from Baseljet's old system. And every time it overflows, instead of going into the river, it will go into the tunnel. And then the tunnel goes all the way east to uh, Beckton Sewage Works, where it gets taken up to the sewage works there, Europe's largest sewage works, um, treated. And then it, uh, it, the effluent then goes into, uh, into the river down there. So it's, it's an amazing engineering um, uh, project. It's an incredible company to be with. I think everyone who, all of my colleagues agree with, you know, their vision for safe, health and safety, uh, their vision of how they want to create and celebrate what we're doing is absolutely fantastic. Um, and the asset we'll leave behind will be a legacy for generations to come uh, in terms of what we should be doing for the environment and our, our investment in that, but also actually what it means for the wider public uh, and the communities around the river um, engaging with and being part of the world's most iconic waterway, which is now clean or will be clean in 23, should I say. I'm interested, Andrew, as programme manager at Tideway London, for a man that spent a lot of his working life getting in and out of boats and living in Lycra, aside <laughs> from, from this year and the global pandemic, were you a, a shirt and tie, briefcase, commuting into <laughs> London type of guy? I, I just look at you and I don't see that, but, but correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, no, it, I certainly had a shirt. Uh, I didn't put a tie on very often. Um, but no, I, I, it was... The, the best part about it was the commute actually um i've got three young boys um so time for myself is little few and far between but between a drive a train and a bike ride through london i managed to get um, a bit of exercise in so yeah it wasn't all bad but um no my um uh no we we're an engineering company so we're all you know pr pretty real and uh it's it's, it's not trainers and and t-shirts but uh yeah I had to buy a few shirts when I started. How did you adjust in your own head to coming out of an elite sport environment to, to being a, a commuter and on the nine to five and the, the pay packet and everything else that comes with, with a proper job, as you called it? <laughs> um, Was it hard? It, so I think the, I, I never really looked at it like that. You know, rowing had its we had a, you know, had a small drive to work to, to, to rowing and it's obviously very different sort of climbing into sport gear and getting on the lake. But underneath all that, there was a project, you know, the project was four years. It was one year to the world. It was, you know, a few months to the next trials. It was that two week training program all the way down to, you know, that weight session or that ergo and executing that, as best I could and everything around it, making sure that my lifestyle and everything I was doing was best prepared for me to be able to do that. And moving to Tideway um, was actually quite a simple transition. I just changed the project. And in my head, it was a really nice sort of, you know, I had a you know, four year goal. Um, I could see the steps and I was kind of creating these steps for which was the biggest change. I sort of looked at the way Jurgen sort of held his you know, his, his eyes over the team and he had the big picture and he let the athletes do the small picture, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff. And suddenly I found myself into the, the, this new world of saying, well, I have to create the big picture. Um, but there were so many challenges to that. And it's, you know, we're creating something brand new. 
we had to do so much work from the ground up. It was, it was really an incredible time. And it, it kind of harked back to my days in rowing. I was improving every day, you know, coming back into work each, each week was a new bit of that picture I was putting together. And that feedback of actually achieving those goals, finding out what worked, what didn't, improving the, the, the concept of what we wanted to achieve um, was just a, a, an incredible sort of period of time. It was intense. It was, you know, I, I kind of think I went from one performance program to another. Um, so there was no let up. There was no, um, there was no holiday. It wasn't sort of, you know, long lunches and sort of putting my feet up. It was pretty brutal in many respects. And actually, um, I would say none of it was any easier than when I was a rower. Um, but I was highly motivated because what we wanted to achieve was something really incredible, not just for the river and for Tideway, but for the sport um, and to achieve something myself, which no one had ever done. I mean, as a rower, I was only doing what Pinson and Redgrave had been doing decades before me. So, you know, it's kind of <laughs> not, not big news, but uh, to, to, uh, to, to run the project for, for Tideway and try and get Regat London on the ground was something awesome. So three-time Olympic gold medalist, as I mentioned, quadruple world champion. When you were sitting, talking to Michael, probably after the gold medal in Rio, when did you realise it was time to, to hang up the oar? Or as it actually, was it your wife's decision? <laughs> um, no, my wife was incredibly supportive um, and she was very happy you know, to support whichever decision I went. The, the decision was probably made about two years earlier um, than Rio. The beginning of the 14, 2014 season, I kind of started to feel really run down. You know, as an athlete, you get to know your body incredibly well and you're very sensitive to every little bit. And, you know, one of the things I prided myself on as an athlete is actually the honesty bit. Actually, you know, what is going on? and being honest with yourself, being honest with the coaches and being frankly brave enough to have that conversation regardless of the consequences it could have. Um, so I started to feel pretty run down. Um, so went to the, the coach, went to the doctor, uh, we had run some tests and discovered that my kind of liver function was off. And we decided to sort of investigate the line of a glandular fever, post-viral thing. And the, the net result of that was, okay, stop training. I'm sure it's going to be a couple of weeks, but just get you back on your feet. And then, you know, so this was off the back of becoming world champion for the fourth time with the four in 2013. No, that was 2014. So things were going really well. You know, we were looking towards Rio. We were sort of starting all the planning for that. We're going to go back into the eight and it was just going to be this sort of juggernaut. Uh, and anyway, so I stopped. Um, took a week out, had some more tests, still off. Took a week out, did some more tests. It was getting worse. Took it and just stopped, you know repeated this cycle, and, and very quickly it became it became evident that you know weeks were going to turn into months. And then that kept going. I went through phases of anger and frustration. I eventually got through to resignation, and about January, February time, so about four months in, I'm like, well. This year definitely isn't going to happen, way too late. And to be honest, that the only way I could really sort of become a normal person and, and, and let go of my anger and that, that sort of angst within me, especially for my family's sake, 
was to cancel Rio. You know, it was just like, well, that's, that's not going to happen. So I started in earnest the line of CV building, you know, reaching out to pick contacts and friends and people and just start that process of equipping myself to get a job. And that's why I first came in contact with Tideway and we started the first discussions there. Um, and then there was always a little option in the back of my hand, my head, the one percenter. It's like, well, what if? Um, and that's when in July, um, I kind of said to myself, well, look, if it's ever going to be an option and it's not sacrificing anything else at the moment, then I'll just give it a go. So I started cycling, started doing half hour, 40 minutes, one hour, just building up. And then I got back onto an ergo and I was doing, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just building back up the splits, back up the work. And, you know, this was all alongside the other stuff I was trying to do, the jobs and the other projects I was running. So it wasn't compromising anything. But I eventually got to the position where I was sort of knocking out 16K, not too far off what I used to do. And my body wasn't breaking. So I was like, well, fine. So I, you know, we got back into the team and we were like, look, let's just give it a go. And if my body falls down at any point, then at least we tried. Um, and thankfully it didn't. Um, and I managed to get all the way to Rio. I mean, part of that success was being part of an amazing eight, uh, a bunch of guys who were incredibly motivated, um, hugely passionate. You know, they'd all come from different backgrounds. Some were kind of first Olympics, some were third. Pete and I were in that boat. So we were kind of the old pair was back together again. And it was just the most incredible experience. A big part of that was because they were massive guys and they were all going to pull me along <laughs> to the last gold medal. So um, I'd like to think I maybe did my little bit, but, you know, without a doubt, you know, what they gave that boat and, and, and interestingly, me relearning how to row, not just the technical side, but the team bit, the actual you know, I'm going to fit in with this team. They're not going to fit with me. It's, you know, it's their boat. I'm coming back from nothing. Um, and I worked out my ways to contribute as they did their own. And I, I'd say, you know, we managed, uh, yeah, we managed to finish off my career in the most splendid way I could possibly have hoped for. Um, to be part of that team, to do something which was absolutely devastating to the opposition. I mean, it was that race in Rio was one of the finest examples of power and finesse. It's, it's actually as close as you can get to the boat race experience of that. You know, we were kind of rough around the edges and a bit, you know, unsightly and people didn't rate us for that. And the Cambridge crew were so pretty. And again, you know, <laughs> they were sort of the Germans at the time. You know, half their boat was German and half our boat was American. But um, our biggest opposition in Rio were the Germans again who rode very well, very clinical, lovely boats, but it doesn't matter when you're a length down at halfway because, um, yeah, we, we demonstrated that power and passion and, and doing it well together in the team dynamic is just, just such, so formidable when it, when it gets right. And the nice thing is that that sort of translates across so many ways of life. Yeah, it was a real privilege to be part of. So, But the decision to finish at Rio was definitely... Yeah, I got to the end of Rio and I kind of swept my brow and I was like, phew, <laughs> you know, um, just it was a real, I got away with that sort of feeling. Um, 
but I've got to thank the whole team and Jurgen for for guiding me through it. It was it was something special. I can remember Andrew sitting with you at the NEC in Birmingham, and you were at kitting out. I think your wife was there, and I think you had one boy with you. Yeah, that's um, right. That Seb was there. Yeah. And I sat with you, Tom Ransley, uh, Pete Bennett as well. And I, I sensed from you at that point that, that this was probably going to be the end. But if it hadn't been that fairy tale finish, that, that gold medal um, underneath Christ the Redeemer, was there, was there any way you would have thought, I, I don't want to finish my career on a bronze or a silver? Or was it definitely, definitely going to be it? No, my, my body was breaking. Um, you know, I've been a performance athlete for... Well, since 2002, so that was what 14 years, and uh, you know there was I've seen athletes come back and keep going after surgeries and after thing and just you know I'd also got a bit of a problem in my heart. I've got AF, uh, which is almost a, definitely from the amount of training you've been doing. And there were some sessions I just thought, well, certainly in it, during during the final. You know, I was like, right, I'm all in. Absolutely no question, I'm all in. And in the back of my mind, there was a little bit of like, this could actually break me, like in a serious way, whether it's, you know, a back or a heart or just your metabolism, you, you, the, you know, the things that your viruses do with bodies or when you stress them too much, and, you know, give a virus a foothold. It's, it's sort of, it's really irresponsible considering my family but, you know, I was just like, this, this is, I'm, I'm doing something I love. I've invested so much into it. I'm going to risk everything for it. And I think it was the last time, it was, I knew it was going to be the last time I'd ever get a chance to do that. Um, whatever the result was, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take that risk anymore. And that's where, you know, when I finally finished, I, I was so happy to have done what I've done, but so happy to be out as well. Um, and I'm lo so lucky to be able to say that. So few athletes leave the sport with a genuine sort of not, not being able to look back and wish, you know. Um, yeah, I, it's, whatever the result had been, it would have been my last, but I, I can't, can't, can't tell you how grateful I am for the journey I've had. It's, it's, it was incredible. We're talking to Andrew Triggs-Hodge on anything but footies, great British bosses. And we're going to talk about the London youth rowing before the end of the podcast, Andy. But a few quick fire questions for you, kind of a new, more on a newsy kind of topics, if that's, if, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Firstly, you mentioned the boat race. So they're moving it to the River Ouse <laughs> because, of the ha because of the Hammersmith Bridge safety concerns. Yeah. How detrimental is it that the London boat race won't be in London? Oh, good one. Um... For the athletes involved, the most important thing is they, they get to show what they can do on the, on the water. Absolutely, without a question, um, they will demonstrate their mettle uh, against each other. And that was the biggest shame last year is they, they, those athletes didn't get that chance. You know, they're young. They'll only get this chance at the most once or three times. Um, and it means so much to them to be able to, to, to present what they've been doing and that passion and power and the technique, all of it. So the most important thing is that they actually get a chance to race. So that's, you know, number one. Uh, for the race itself, it, it's an, 
I, I've tried to work it out many times, you know, the boat race. You know, it, it's a real anomaly in the sporting calendar. But you go down and you just see the thousands and thousands of people on the banks. And it's an incredible experience to be part of. You know, it's, it, it's bonkers, really. But, and, I, and I don't think it will take one year off the river to, to squash that. Um, I think next year, touch wood, the bridge is back in action or it's fixed or it's been taken down or whatever they want to do with it. And I think the crowds will be back and it will be that fixture to come and watch again um, and to, 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 to sort of to wit wit witness that weird bit of sporting British culture, which is just irreplaceable. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think it will be all right, but they do need to get back on the river in London at some point. And then from a British rowing perspective, Tokyo 2020, now in 2021, you mentioned about the four-year cycle that you work towards. You can understand why some of the British rowers have retired and said, actually, I can't go another year. I want, I want to stop. Is there pressure on British rowing to maintain the success that they've had in so many Olympics and you were so part of that? <laughs> well, absolutely. Um, the pressure is not on the athletes, though. The, the, the squad they've got at the moment is amazing. The power they're producing, uh, the quality of the athletes, I think everything they've learned over the last four years um, has put this team in as good a place to, 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 to maintain that winning success. I'd say the pressure is on the system. Um, you know, from, you know, the new uh, performance director, um, Brendan, and his boss, Andy Parkinson, you know, they've kind of done a wholesale change over the last few years. You know, Tanner's gone, Jürgen's gone, Tomo's gone. Um, they're instigating some changes at the moment. Uh, and without, without a doubt, the pressure will be on. Now, you know, I've got a bit of sympathy. They've, you know, when Ferguson left Manchester, it took a lot of years of rebuilding. And that's with any performance programme. It's going to have a really tough time. Um, but I, I, I don't think that's a, a good enough excuse um, to sort of say, well, you know, there's no pressure then, we can let it fail and we'll be all right. You know, <clears throat> rowing is in a pretty precarious place. If you look at what's happening on the Olympic programme, if you look at, you know, other sort of rowing assets, which are, you know, the boat race, you know, still doesn't have a sponsor. Um, they, they, need to, they need to get their finger out and make sure they're doing absolute best without a question for those athletes. Um, because if those athletes don't win, I'm 100% certain it won't be down to those athletes. They're going to give their blood and sweat and gears and everything to make sure it win. Exactly what we did in the previous years. But I think there is a lot of pressure, but it's not on the athletes. They're doing a great job. Would it be a disaster for British rowing if the medal hall is not at least close to, to where it has been for some of those reasons you mentioned, things like terrestrial TV coverage, sponsorship, the commercial add-ons. Do they need to win those medals in Tokyo? Well, it's kind of, my, my, my perspective, less, like, less along the lines of do they need to. It's like, well, of course they need to because if they don't, they won't get the money from UK sport. But it's, it's their obligation to the athletes. Like those athletes are good enough to win. So they, they, they should be putting everything in place to enable those athletes to get the best from themselves as individuals. Then when they come into crew boats and teams to get the best out of those teams and have the best uh, leadership structure that enables them 
to come together properly to then demonstrate that on the world stage and show what they're capable of. Because without a doubt, it's of the finest color medals you can imagine. Um, so yeah, it's sort of more from that perspective that absolutely, you know, we should be, we should be seeing the right color medals come through. And I was interested in hearing you talk about your battles with ill health and your virus. How is your mate Pete Reed? Because for people listening that don't know, obviously, um, a very serious illness. How did you react when you heard? I presume you, you chat still quite regularly. Yeah, we uh, we catch up from time to time. Um, uh, that was a massive, a massive blow. I mean, for people who don't know, you had a spinal stroke, which is a very rare thing anyway. But basically, it meant that from his mid-back, literally, you cut a line across his body from his first ab downwards. Basically, everything stopped working. Um, and that happened in a six-hour period of what was quite intense pain by the sounds of things. Uh, but, you know, he's a remarkably resilient guy. Um, there's so many points at which he could have kind of fallen apart, you know, thrown in the towel, done various things. But... Um, you know, he's showing his mettle as to why he was, you know, he was, for me, it was lucky that we, our paths crossed, you know, and, and we all, everything he gave to the boat, you know, I was in it as well. Um, and he's a remarkable, remarkable character. And, you know, part of that is putting the right people around you. And, you know, he's been part of the Navy since the beginning. Um, and he's been now with the Navy uh, through this period and they've got some amazing support all the stuff they do at Stanford Hall um, every opportunity they give him uh, he's not only just gone with but made better and he's added the Pete Reed element to it and it's just mean that his progress has been astonishing like you know he posted a video the other day of him standing which you know listening to him and hearing what the doctors were saying you know he'll be lucky to, to have stood ever again and, you know, just over a year later, here he is. So, no, he's, he's doing really well. But follow him on his, on, his, on his Twitter and his Instagram because the stories and the, and the motivation and his, his passion for getting better is incredible. Um, it's a real testament to, to the best qualities of an Olympian. Well, we wish him all the best as well. London Youth Rowing. Yes. You, say, you say that you love working with vibrant blue sky thinking organizations who can make a real difference. So this passion to bring through the next generation. Yeah, man. Rowing is such a great sport and it's, it's so, uh, uh, just the best bits of it don't shine. It's so frustrating. Like the boat race is fantastic. It's awesome. You know, get involved in it and it's, you'll, you'll understand why, but you know, it only touches 16 people in the boat race each year. Um, there are loads of clubs doing some great work, which they'd never have a platform to shout about. London Youth Rowing, um, as well as a couple of others, some in London, some in Rowington and Leeds, they're doing some amazing work giving rowing, giving rowing as an opportunity to kids. Now, when I was a captain at Molsey, my club in uh, West London, we had a big junior program and our local, uh, one of our kind of junior feeder clubs or schools was a uh, school called Hinchley Wood. And the teacher there, she was passionate about rowing because she knew what it gave the kids. And what she would do is each year, she would go and find the kids who weren't quite settled, troublemakers, 
um, the ones who sort of obviously had some energy which they couldn't get rid of um, normally. And she sent them all right. And she just knew every time that when they got into it, A, they would love it because it gave them an outlet. It gave them a sense of direction and a sort of channel for their passion. Um, and it gave them responsibility around the crew, about turning up on time, taking on the technical aspects so that the, the crew improves, all these bits and bobs. And, it, and it, it was a major asset to her to help her run her school, you know? And that's, you know, that's just the, sort of the basic level. And then you get up, up the sort of scales of, of, of the competition side and you sort of really learn what teamwork's all about to, you know, to really find detail, communication, the, the finer skills in life. Um, and rowing has a massive, massive role to play in society. I'm convinced of it. Alongside the rugby's and the footballs and all the other sports, you know, rowing should be there as a, as a sport that people shouldn't feel intimidated to, to be part of. And now that's, that's kind of where I feel I want to be is to try and open up the sport of rowing. Take down, no, that's wrong. I don't want to take down anything. I want to build something alongside of it so that when you see the boat races and the Henleys and, you know, you see it on TV and the Olympics, and you think, that's amazing. But my bit's here. And I do it like this. And this is awesome too. And the whole thing around, um, so where, what started with Regatta London and where now is uh, Race the Thames, um, is all about giving people an entry into the sport, which is, is not, th not threatening in any, in any way. You know, it's a challenge. It's something to do for fun. You know, we've seen the explosion of indoor rowing and gyms um, and how people are getting into the sport in their own way and actually loving it. Um, but they still don't have a platform for it. So Regatta London was going to try and do that on the water. And now Race the Thames uh, is a great opportunity uh, for, for London youth rowing who do some, you know, they help get 5,000 kids in the capital from sort of disadvantaged backgrounds into the sport. And it is the same thing, like people who think this sport's not for me, you know, it's, you know, it's so far culturally different that you kind of have to be strong armed into it, but then give it a couple of sessions and it's their new life. And it's that sort of, that, those barriers, which every time I see them broken, it makes my, my heart proud. You know, I'm like, this sport is more than just what we see of it. Uh, it's got so much to give. And if I can help these platforms, like Race the Thames, so get involved, everyone, look it up, londonyouthrowing.com forward slash Race the Thames 2021. Um, raise some money for your charity, have some fun, get fit. This is all about, you know, just, through the winter of lockdown, just being with your mates, not in physical, you know, side by side, but in your own gyms or hell, if you've got something at home, do it on that. But just have an excuse to be together. And then in March, we all come together on our race platform. We've called it the LYR Arena. It will be online. It's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. Um, but yeah, we're just going to dive in. Rowing's not a bad sport. Well, here, here to that. All the details are on the webpage of this podcast if you want to join Race the Thames. Andy, we could speak for another half an hour. I'd love to. Easily. But we've got to go. And thank you so much for talking to great British bosses. Thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 